0: Welcome to the NPS MedicineWise podcast, helping health professionals stay up to date with the latest news and evidence about medicines and medical tests. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Caroline West and I'm a GP and NPS MedicineWise advisor. Today's podcast is brought to you by the TGA and NPS MedicineWise. Now, there are times when a health practitioner and their patient may decide to use a therapeutic product that is not on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods, the ARTG. In other words, it's an unapproved product. So what am I talking about? Well, medicinal cannabis is an example that comes to mind. The majority of medicinal cannabis products are not approved, but practitioners can access them for patients if they deem them suitable. And there are, of course, many other unapproved therapeutic goods, including medications that may be considered valuable to a person's management. On today's podcast, we explore which pathways can be taken to access these unapproved goods, and we get into the practical details. We're going to demystify the process. How do you use the special access scheme, or alternatively, how do you become an authorized prescriber? How much time will it take to get the paperwork done? Do you need special training? To answer these questions and more, Dr. Jess Titterman joins me from the TGA. Jess is a GP and a medical officer at the TGA. There have been no conflicts of interest declared for this podcast. Welcome to the program, Jess.
1: Thank you, Caroline. Thanks for having me and us, the TGA.
0: (laughs) My pleasure. Look, I know GPs and other doctors can get pretty tangled up in this, myself included, but... Today's really an opportunity to explore how you follow the pathway and how straightforward it can be to get special access. But before we take a deep dive, perhaps it's worthwhile to just start with a refresher on the basics. Can we go through what is the ARTG exactly, the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Caroline. We here at the TGA talk about the ARTG all the time, but recognise that it's not necessarily a part of people's day-to-day in clinical practice. So it's essentially, as it says in the name, the register of therapeutic goods. So we're talking about medicines today, but it also includes biological products and devices that are overseen essentially by the TGA and have been approved for importation and supply in Australia. And We encourage, where possible, use of those products on the ARTG, noting those processes and that oversight of these goods.
0: So we've got approved goods and then we've got unapproved goods. So what does it mean when a therapeutic good is unapproved? Very simply
1: put, we've just defined what an approved good is. It's on the register. Everything else is unapproved, basically. If it's not on the ARTG, it is an unapproved good. And it means that the TGA has not evaluated unapproved products or goods for quality, safety, efficacy or performance. So you can't rely on that oversight of the TGA of those goods in the way that we monitor and evaluate all of those things for ARTG listed or registered products.
0: I guess it would cross somebody's mind when they hear that word unapproved. Oh, does that mean it's unsafe? Does that mean it's not tried and tested? And what am I getting into here if I use an unapproved good?
1: Yeah, and it's a good question. I think what is safe and is something safe is is such a broad and complex question. I think it's important What I would say first is that something being unapproved doesn't necessarily mean it is unsafe. It just means that it is not approved by the TGA for supply in Australia. It's not on the ARTG. It may be that we're talking about an unapproved product that is registered or or approved by another regulator in a country overseas, or it is being used in Australia, but maybe part of a clinical trial or in some other setting. So where there perhaps have been safety considerations. So it's not necessarily that there's no experience with this good, but at its most simple is that it is not approved by the TGA in Australia.
0: And can you give me some examples of some of these unapproved goods that we may be accessing here?
1: Yeah. So you mentioned in your introduction, medicinal cannabis is a big one that's got quite a profile at the moment. Also, more recently, nicotine products for use with vaping. Also, colocalciferol capsules or vitamin D capsules and injections, often the higher dose forms of that. Tinidazole tablets, dexamethasone eye drops, tacrolimus ointment. And I think you probably recognise from some of those that the actual drugs are available often in approved forms So there are a number of products that people access uh, as an unapproved good in Australia where there is much clinical experience with the actual active ingredient. It's just that that particular product itself is not approved for use in Australia.
0: So can we get into some of the nitty gritty now? Now, say I'm a, a GP and I wish to prescribe one of these unapproved products. What are the pathways in front of me that I can choose? Because I think that GPs can get a bit overwhelmed at this point in time. They can go, oh, my goodness, this just might mean more courses, more time. This is going to be very complicated. Can we sort of strip it back and really get down to what are the choices and how you get the ball rolling?
1: Absolutely. And look, I still practice clinically and I very much relate to that feeling of overwhelm in general practice. We're time poor. We're expected to be across endless different issues and processes. And so I very much appreciate how challenging it can be both to find the time in the moment, but also if you feel like it's not something that you're familiar with. So there's two pathways to accessing unapproved goods. It'll become clearer when I actually explain what they are. The first one is authorised prescriber, and that is the preferred pathway, and I'll explain why. And second is the special access scheme. So Authorised prescriber, as it hints in the name, is that the doctor who applies and gets this type of access to prescriber unapproved goods, they are being authorised as a prescriber rather than it being linked to a particular patient. This pathway is preferred because it actually then allows the medical practitioner who has obtained this authorised prescriber status To supply a particular good, so I mentioned dexamethasone eye drops, if I applied and had approval to prescribe that, then I get approval or, or I get authorised prescriber status to prescribe that particular product for a particular indication to my patient's and they can then seek access to that good. So there are requirements where authorised prescribers have to do some fairly minor reporting to the TGA, so numbers of patients that they treat, six monthly, and depending on the product, the usual way for a prescriber to access is they need Human Research Ethics Committee approval and then they put a TGA application online. And then, as I say, they can prescribe for numerous patients for this particular good. I imagine people are thinking, oh, Human Research Ethics Committee, that sounds complicated and time consuming. (laughs) There's actually, within that, there's a subset or our established history of use pathway, which is actually an increasingly long list of products that essentially we've got quite a record of them having been prescribed by a wide range of doctors in Australia for specific indications. And so that is essentially a more streamlined authorised prescriber pathway. So the doctor doesn't need ethics committee approval to access that. And products like nicotine for vaping and a number of other goods um, that are commonly used for specific indications are on that list. That's certainly preferred and it is an upfront administrative requirement for the doctor, but, you know, doesn't have ongoing application burden. With the special access scheme, that is linked to an individual patient So if I, as a doctor, was applying to prescribe a particular good under the special access scheme, it would be for an individual patient for an individual product. So it's often less appropriate if there's going to be an ongoing prescribing need because you're going to have to repeatedly go through that process. Or, as I said, if you're wanting to be able to prescribe to a number of different patients because as a GP we all have lots of patients and so it's often more helpful if we then are able to offer that to a number of patients and it'll depend on the good and within the special access scheme pathway again three sub pathways that have different requirements depending on the specific circumstance Mm. one is simply a notification pathway in particularly with seriously ill patients, recognising that it's not reasonable for there to be significant administrative burden in such circumstances. And others, it depends on the product as to which sub pathway they fit into.
0: You've summarised that there are two pathways in front of you that you could follow. So the authorised prescriber, as you say, is the preferred path because am I hearing that that's a simpler pathway if you're going to be prescribing that class of medication for example to a range of people it would be easier to be an authorised prescriber rather than for each individual get a special access? Absolutely. Do I need to have extra training for example in this group of products? I suppose that applies to all things that are in the unapproved categories but I mean from that point of view what does the GP need to do to prepare to become an authorised prescriber? Do they need to do courses? No, I mean, the good thing from
1: the TGA perspective in terms of the actual requirements for an authorised prescriber, no, there is no specific training. You certainly don't need to train to use our system. Hopefully as there's been a lot of improvements to our online system and really if you have had a discussion and made a decision with a patient that a particular product is appropriate for their treatment that's really the only point that you need to get to and then from the TGA perspective it's the documentation and the online process and certainly um, as you said if, if you're looking at prescribing to multiple patients or particularly prescribing a product repeatedly over time authorised prescriber is absolutely the best pathway. And certainly I would like to encourage doctors not to be put off by the TGA requirements for these goods if they otherwise are comfortable prescribing and making a decision that that product is an appropriate part of that patient's treatment. That there's certainly no special requirements for them then to access the authorised prescriber or, if appropriate, special access scheme pathways. Mm. trying to remove that as a burden or an area of concern.
0: Totally. So if the GP can actually refine their skills and have the confidence to step forward, I think a lot of it's a confidence issue. You know, when you, you're you not used to doing something, you sort of balk at it because you think, oh my goodness, this is just going to take <laughs> another chunk out of my busy day where I'm already overwhelmed with COVID patients and everything else. But, you know, what's interesting is this service is a free service. Correct. There's no fee. no fee. And yet a lot of clinics are actually charging, I've noticed, not only a consultation fee, but a dispensing fee to do the paperwork of another $250. So we've talked about fragmenting care when the GP doesn't use these pathways themselves, but there's also the cost to the patient. And often that initial consultation will come up to $350 plus, and that's a lot of money for somebody managing a chronic condition. So it is also about equity and and access. It's great to be able to explore this and perhaps bust a few myths out there. And can you take me through some of the other commonly used pathways or products that may be familiar to some GPs that would also be reason to use these pathways? You, you referred to some of them earlier in the program. Yeah, so
1: there's a number of antibiotics that, as I mentioned, there are a number of products that are perhaps available in some other dose form but a particular dose form isn't available. So one that GPs may come across is levofloxacin. It is quite commonly used to treat treatment-resistant helicobacter pylori. There'd be increasingly few GPs who've actually had a patient who's been in this situation where they've been diagnosed with H. pylori, they've had their standard triple therapy that includes amoxicillin and clarithromycin. Their infection hasn't been resolved. They've got ongoing symptoms. You maybe even seek some advice. I've I've certainly had someone in this situation. You seek some advice from maybe infectious diseases or the local gastro and you need some levofloxacin. And one of the issues is, and I should have mentioned earlier, this also is where we can end up with unapproved goods, is that levofloxacin is on the ARTG, so there is an approved product that's usually available in Australia, but maybe there's a shortage or there's no stock available at the moment, and so what you need to do is you still need to prescribe for this patient But because you can't get that approved good that's normally available, you need to prescribe a different levofloxacin product that perhaps is approved by an overseas regulator but not normally supplied in Australia. So, you know, it's for quite a standard indication. It's just that supply can certainly affect all of this. So, noting that this isn't expected to be an ongoing treatment need, this would be very appropriate for the special access scheme pathway because you've got one individual patient, you've got a particular treatment that is just a specific course. And actually, I mentioned that there's the sub pathways within special access scheme. And this levofloxacin is listed in Category C, which is actually a notification pathway because, as I mentioned, this is quite a common indication. And so the prescriber needs to complete a Category C special access scheme form online within 28 days of issuing the prescription or the supply of the good. And that's basically it. They need to, as I said, do the online process and it really is more about notifying the TGA that you've prescribed that unapproved good to a patient rather than being involved seeking permission and and waiting. So as long as you've got consent from the patient, they understand the circumstances, you write the script, the pharmacy takes the role for actually organising the supply, you submit your notification online and... That's the end of it. That's a specific one. If it was an ongoing need, I mentioned maybe a nicotine vaping product is an alternative. If you've got to make a decision that nicotine vaping, you've got a patient who's tried alternative approved nicotine replacement therapy. They're having a really hard time quitting. They want to try vaping. This is going to be more of an ongoing need. You know, this isn't a one-off script, so an authorised prescriber application would be much more appropriate in this situation. And, again, you also then would be in a situation of being able to prescribe for other patients, not just the one individual patient. So you would apply for authorised prescriber for vaping nicotine, for smoking cessation as the indication, And again, applying online for that. You'd need to report numbers of patients that you were prescribing that product to six monthly, but you're not applying over and over again, filling out paperwork each time. So there is that upfront investment. But again, we talked about before about time and and being very time poor in general practice that you should be able to do these online applications in the consult with the patient there.
0: Hmm. So how many minutes do you reckon? (laughs) I mean, obviously a lot of the time is going to be around exploring whether that unapproved product is suitable. And then once that decision is made and it's actually the prescribing applying pathway, let's say you're an authorized prescriber, How much extra is it going to add to your consultation time to actually go through the paperwork side of things, which paperwork's the wrong word because it's all electronic?
1: Yes, that's right, paperwork. Good question. I have to confess I haven't timed myself where to go, but also I probably wouldn't be a good person to time given that I'm actually familiar with our website. But I think, look, probably roughly 10 minutes. So, you know, I'm envisaging if you've got someone and they've done the usual, they've booked a short appointment and they've come in and they said, I want to look at this, perhaps using that time to have a chat with them about it and as you say the bulk of the consult is really about discussion about what's appropriate and pros and cons and and all of that if you were concerned about time getting them to book a follow-up with a plan to do the actual process in that time and issue the script or if you had a bit longer And noting that when we say about 10 minutes, that for the authorised prescriber pathway, that's a one-off up front. You know, that's not going to be every time you're issuing a prescription or having that conversation with a patient.
0: So to just recap, so far, the good news is you don't need special training. You just need to familiarise yourself with the pathways. Authorised prescriber is the preferred option if you're going to be repeatedly using a particular product. And I'm hearing that it's not as hard as I imagine a lot of GPs would be imagining at this point. And that the advantage of that is if you're able to manage the application for the unapproved product, maintain continuity of care with that patient, you're going to be totally across what they're actually taking to add to their medication chart and having those ongoing conversations into the future about the appropriateness of that product with continuation or discontinuation. Absolutely. And some of those opportunities, quite frankly, are lost when somebody goes to a specialised extra clinic on the side. In terms of the the takeaways from your end of things, what do you think is really important to stress? I think the key thing,
1: that a lot of work has been done to make the application processes for both authorised prescriber and special access scheme less onerous, recognising that, you know, it has historically been a burden for doctors and wanting to remove that and make it more accessible that there's lots of information on our website and that it should largely be an intuitive process and where possible opt for the authorised prescriber pathway because it will be less burdensome for the clinician. And as you would expect, most of the discussion, as it should be, will be focused on what does the patient need, what's happening, what might be an appropriate part of treatment, and that the actual TGA application should be a small part of that overall, and hopefully shouldn't turn doctors off considering, if there's an unapproved good that they feel is the best option for that patient, not to be put off helping the patient access that by the TGA requirements.
0: And I know that NPS MedicineWise has some great resources in this area as well. There's one that's called Medicinal Cannabis Access Pathways, Frequently Asked Questions for Prescribers. And the thing I like about that is that it sort of does a bit of handholding, if you like. It takes you through the the pathway that you have to follow and makes it far easier to understand from the login and how you get the approval and endorsement and what needs to be done to actually follow that through. And as you say, you've got some good resources as well on the TGA website.
1: Yes. And they're so important because I think as prescribers, we ultimately want to do the right thing by our patients and certainly don't want to cause them harm. So I understand people not having gone through the process are often worried about doing it for the first time, making sure they get it right and, yeah, NPS and our website, great resources and I I would encourage GPs who have maybe had patients bring this up before but thought it was all too hard or interested in this to, to have a look at those resources and you might find that next time something comes up where an unapproved good may be appropriate for a patient, you might hopefully find that you feel more confident undertaking this process.
0: So Jess, I guess one of the things that people will be most interested in is the pathways for medicinal cannabis. And I know that medicinal cannabis has been used for a range of chronic conditions and there's been incredible consumer interest and GPs have also been prescribing this at record rates. If a GP is to go down that pathway with their patient where they decide it's something they'd like to explore, what are the steps that a GP would need to consider? Should they become an authorised prescriber, for example, if they're going to be dispensing medicinal cannabis? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so
1: you're absolutely right. There's been a lot of growth in in use of these products. And I mean, there are a couple of medicinal cannabis products on the ARTG, but there's a large number that are available as unapproved goods. Chronic pain is definitely the largest group or, or main indication that we're seeing these products used for. Often GPs, and I've certainly been in this situation, have a patient that comes and asks about it. You've often supported them through trying a lot of other medicines, therapies, various options, and someone, a friend's told them that they've been using medicinal cannabis and they come to you because they're, they're interested in trying it out themselves. If you decided that this was an appropriate thing to try for this patient and and identify a product, the important thing is obviously having a conversation with the patient that it's an unapproved good and making sure that they're aware of that and what that means in terms of not having been assessed for safety, efficacy and quality by the TGA. You do a consent process with the patient. You create an online account all these applications are done on our online portal. This would be appropriate for authorised prescriber because you're expected to be prescribing over time for this patient and also you may decide that that you may have other patients for whom you want to be able to prescribe as well. And so, as I mentioned, you can expect to receive approval within three business days. That allows you to prescribe ongoing for that patient, but also if you had other patients perhaps in similar presentation, you write them a prescription. Patients, it's about organising supply through their pharmacy and the approval is actually for a period of five years. So when I said it it really is more a one-off rather than repeated application process, as long as it's a product that falls in that category, for that indication, you can also prescribe to other patients and that individual initial patient for five years and you do need to report the numbers of people you're prescribing for six monthly to the TGA, but those are not detailed, onerous reports. It's really just for us to have an idea of the numbers that people are prescribing for who are doing it through that authorised prescriber pathway.
0: Yeah, I reckon a lot of consumers would be quite surprised that their GPs can dispense because there's been the proliferation online of of high-profile medicinal cannabis clinics that imply they have expert doctors who just specialise in this field and who have all the paperwork at hand to apply on your behalf for a hefty fee, I have to say. Your first consult and the, the application is often billed at $350 plus. But I guess what we need to do is have a conversation, don't we, with our patients as a GP to really explore those options for them and make it clear that actually as their GP that we can actually manage their care in those domains if they wish to access an unapproved product that we've discussed and have agreed is a good thing to pursue then in fact as a GP you can follow that pathway.
1: Yeah and it's important to note this is separate to any cost for dispensing of the actual product because that would happen at the pharmacy level but yes you're right I think we know general practice primary care is cost effective and Yes, I think there's probably a lot of GPs, they've been intimidated by what they think the process involves or the impression that is given by perhaps the reluctance to engage in this area.
0: Yeah, I think I would have been in that category of the intimidated GP, especially when it first started to roll out. But now that I've had the process demystified for me, I've realised that in fact, as a GP, I can actually become an authorised prescriber and it's not an onerous commitment in terms of time yes no training is required and you can actually segue it into the rest of your management of that person
1: yes as always the work is in the discussion with the patient about what they're presenting with and what appropriate treatment options might be and i think the actual administrative tga online application process is a small part of that the important time-consuming part is in the discussion and ongoing care of the
0: patient Mm. which applies to whatever you're prescribing Obviously medicinal cannabis is not the only type of product that's on the unapproved product list, but you also mentioned at the beginning of the program some other examples, but I think there are also some antibiotics that are used or maybe, maybe accessed through the unapproved products.
1: Yeah, there are definitely some different antibiotics, uh, antifungals, steroid products. It may be that some version or form of those are approved in Australia, but a particular form isn't. So, you know, sometimes an injection form versus a tablet form and one may be appropriate for a particular indication but is only accessible as an unapproved good.
0: Well, thanks so much for your time today. I've been talking with Dr. Jess Titterman from the TGA, who's also a GP, so she's been wearing both hats with us today on the program, which has been terrific. And I think you've done a terrific job in demystifying the process for us with... TGA pathways to access unapproved goods. And hopefully, after today's program, GPs and other prescribers will have more confidence in following those pathways. So, appreciate your time. And as we've said through the show, there are plenty of great resources on the TGA website and the NPS MedicineWise website if people would like more information. Because let's face it, it's really hard to remember all of this information and information does change. So, having some of those flowcharts for prescribing is really helpful. I'm sure you'd agree, Jess.
1: Yes, absolutely. I certainly can't keep it all in my head. I have extensive bookmarks in my internet browser as a GP.
0: <laughs> yes, ditto. So it's always good to back up with what you recall in some other format. So thank you so much. And of course, anybody listening that would also like any extra information on CPD points for today's podcast, please go to the NPS MedicineWise website. And that's all we have time for today, Jess, but thank you once again for being with us and thank you to the TGA. Thank you, NPS and Caroline, for having me. My pleasure. I'm Dr Caroline West. Bye for now. For more information about the safe and wise use of medicines, visit the NPS MedicineWise website at nps.org.au.